0: Today's scripture reading comes to us from Luke chapter 11, verse 11 to 13, Ephesians chapter 6 through 1 through 4, and Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the like- likeliness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to New Creation Fellowship. Let's now bow our heads asking for the Lord to bless us in his word. Father, we pray. That you will now be with us after six days of trekking and going through the hardships of this life. We now gather by the summoning of your spirit to sit at your feet. For Lord, we believe that it's at your feet we are lifted up. It is at your feet we are instructed of truth. It is at your feet we are reminded yet again that we have a father that we can look up to. In a world in which so many have disappointed, so many have betrayed, so many have disqualified themselves. Lord, we are so thankful that we can still look up and not feel so left to ourselves, having to figure life on our own, but that we can look to you with hope and peace, knowing that there is someone who is always for us, someone who always has our back, and someone who will always lead us to the way of truth and peace. And now, Father, we pray that you'll bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, one of my favorite comedians to watch is a comedian by the name of Jim Gaffigan. And if you don't know who he is, you've got to check him out. He has a bunch of stuff on YouTube. The guy is absolutely hilarious. And the thing that I love about his stand-up is that he doesn't reduce his comedy to a depraved or perverse la- uh, level just to get a laugh. I mean, case in point. He's able to take everyday things in life and spin it in such a way to where he becomes hysterical. Because in one show, he was talking about the realities of the miracle of life. A woman giving birth to pinpoint the stark differences between men and women. Listen to what he said in one of his shows. He says this, my wife did it. She had four babies in our apartment. She's an amazing woman. Really all women are amazing. And I mean that in a very pandering way. I mean, women are really. A woman can grow a baby inside their body, and then somehow a woman can deliver the baby through their body. And then by some miracle, a woman can feed the baby with their body. And then when you think of the male contribution to life, it's kind of embarrassing, really. A guy could be like, Well, I help too for like five seconds doing the one thing I think about 24 hours a day. Well, enjoy your morning sickness, honey. I'm going to go eat me some chili. <laughs> Now, you read that and you can't help but to chuckle, right? And yet, if you listen more carefully to what he's saying, you'll notice that he's conveying an underlying subtext that is far too often assumed about dads that is far from being funny. And what is this subtext? It's the subtext that says dads don't really matter or dads are not as important as mom. And because dads are these things, they're not worthy of honor, or at least not to the level of honor that we give mom, right? Indeed, if you consider some of the cultural trends that differentiate between mom and dad, you see a clear inequality of honor being lived out amongst our parents. Study upon study show that children have a much higher preference of bestowing honor and worth to mom than they do to dad. One research tells us that 75% of the global population, 75%, spend more time and more money on moms than they do their dads. 75% more, okay? Another study tells us that adult children prefer having their elderly moms live with them rather than their elderly dads by a huge margin. Clearly, as a society, we have a strong preference for moms over our dads. And because of that, we kind of carry this prevailing attitude that dads are just not as honorable as moms are. And who knows, maybe some of you in this room carry that same prevailing attitude when it comes to your own parents. But if that is you, you're going to have to be ready for a shocking discovery because as far as the Bible is concerned, the Bible, excuse me, I'm having a hard time speaking today. The Bible has a hard time agreeing with that attitude because it has almost the complete opposite because as far as the bible is concerned it tells us that we are to honor our fathers as much as we honor our mothers why not because dads intrinsically deserve it because they're just your dads it's not like oh i'm your dad so you better do it Rather, because God calls dads to be a certain kind of person, which translates into them doing certain kinds of things that a mom cannot duplicate and therefore b make them worthy of the highest esteem and the highest of honors, which begs the question, what exactly is about fatherhood that make fathers so honorable? What is it that dads must be and therefore must do in order for them to merit the honor that the Bible says should be theirs if they do live out this calling? Well, that's the question we're going to consider and answer as we take a look at these three passages of Scripture. And we're going to be informed that a dad becomes honorable when he does these three things according to these three passages of Scripture. Number one, a dad is honorable when he recognizes he's a creator a dad is honorable. When he recognizes. He's a creator. Number two, a dad is honorable. When he accepts the five truths of mankind. And finally a dad is honorable when he believes the gospel. So a dad is honorable. When he one recognizes he's a creator. Number two, when he accepts the five truths of mankind and finally, when he believes the gospel, let's jump right in first, a dad is honorable when he recognizes. He's a creator. Now, again, in our culture, dads are not perceived to be as vital or as crucial to the family as mom after all it's not men who have to do the heavy lifting of carrying a full body to term in the gut of your stomach it's not men who have to deal with the pressures of a biological clock ticking away constantly it's not men who have to sacrifice so much hormonally physically emotionally the way our moms do in fact it's not even the dads the men who have to be always there with their kids the moment they are born, 24-7, the way moms do. In fact, in our day and age with the technology we have available, a man could father a child without ever meeting or knowing the mother of his child, right? If starting a family was akin to starting a business the way that our culture sees it, dads would be at most a junior partner, and moms would be the founding and therefore CEO of the organization known as the family but if you read the bible you'll come to discover that it actually has it the other way around to where dad would be the founding partner and mom would be the junior partner how can that be well let me give you this example anyone in here ever read those boring parts of the bible known as the genealogies You know those portions of Scripture that you find in the book of Numbers and the first seven chapters of Chronicles, right? This man beget that man. That man was the father of this man. And this and that, this and that was this man's father, this man's son. On and on it goes. Have you read those boring portions of Scripture? The answer? No, pastor. (laughs) We don't read it because it's boring. Yes, I get it. The genealogies are boring. But when you consider what the genealogies are really saying in light of this topic of fatherhood, you come to discover that they tell us something very insightful about the nature of fathers, and it's simply this. Fathers are creators. Fathers are specifically the creator of children. You see, even though in our culture we say that mom is the source of her children, the fact of the matter is mom is not the creative source of her children moms do not create children in their womb they develop women excuse me women and men children in their womb the creative source of children the source of genesis the origin of children come from dad specifically the seed of dad if there is no seed of dad there is no children just like if there is no seed money there is no new business period okay fathers are the vital components that make a That make a woman's desire for children into a living reality, which means what? Again, fathers are the creator of their kids. They are recognized, as far as the Bible is concerned, as the creator of their little ones. Consider these words from theologian Tony Payne when he writes this, quote, To be a father in the biblical worldview is to be a life giver. Fathers are the seed sowers, the begetters of offspring. In the Bible's way of thinking, the life principle is in the man's seed, which is planted in the fertile ground of the woman's womb, and with God's blessing, eventually produces fruit. Fathers are their source of life to generation after generation of their descendants. They spawn families and clans and tribes. They are life givers. They are creators. Now. Depending on who you are, you might find what he's saying here somewhat offensive as if the Bible and this guy is giving off this scent of a primitive patriarchy as if to imply that men fathers are inherently superior to moms, women, thereby justifying, promoting, condoning a sense of inequality of power that would justify, you know, being oppressive towards women and kids. But if that's what you're thinking, you could not be even more wrong. And let me explain with a silly illustration in my home. One of the questions that I'm always asking my kids, as well as her, their mother, is this annoying question because we're very annoyed when we ask it. I always tell my kids every morning, at least twice, before they go to school, hey, who created this mess? Who created this mess? Who made this? Who created this? Hmm? Who created this mess over here? Right? Mom's always saying it, too. <laughs> now, What are we asking our children when we say, who created this? We're asking who's responsible, right? For to create is to be responsible, which means when the Bible is harping on this idea that fathers are creators of their children, that's not an indirect, uh, passive-aggressive way of saying that men, fathers, are superior to women. Rather, that's the Bible's way of warning fathers that they are ultimately responsible for their kids. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say fathers are solely responsible for their kids, but fathers are ultimately responsible for their kids. And what I mean by that is fathers have a level of responsibility to their children that even mom cannot meet, okay? Because if that was true, if it was true that mom could meet the full responsibilities that a father has to his kids, that would mean that the absence of fathers would be pretty much negligible to the well-being of the overall stability of kids, right? But study after study tells us that that is simply not the case. Consider these stats from the National Fatherhood Initiative, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization based in D.C. According to them, after decades of study, okay, children who go, grow up in a fatherless home are four times more likely to live in poverty more likely to suffer emotional and behavior problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit a crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant or get someone pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of high school. These statistics are so irrefutable that family experts on both sides of the political spectrum are unanimous. When they talk about this, this is not just the conservative Republicans saying this. These are even the liberal Democrats saying the exact same thing. Our former president, President Obama, said some very moving words at a State of the Union address a couple years back, talking about these very stats. It doesn't matter who you are, what ideology you embrace. This is so obvious that there is a nationwide fatherhood crisis, according to family Experts, I mean, just consider these words from sociology professor at Rutgers, David Pompaneo. Uh, he says this, quote, in his book, Life Without Father, fathers are far more than just second adults in the home. Involved fathers, especially biological fathers, bring positive benefits to their children that no other person is as likely to bring. They provide protection and economic support and male role models. They have a parenting style that is significantly different from that of a mother, and that difference is important in healthy child development fathers have a unique role in the family by being ultimately responsible for their children that's what it means for dad to be the creator now all of this begs the question what exactly does it mean practically speaking that a father is ultimately responsible what does that convey in our day-to-day lives well to answer that question we need to consider the first passage for today luke chapter 11 we're starting in verse 11 we read What father, by the way, this is Jesus talking. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here, Jesus is picturing a somewhat ridiculous scenario, a made-up scenario, where you have a father who is being hurtful to his child rather than being helpful to his child. To where instead of giving a fish, he gives a snake. Instead of giving an egg, he gives a scorpion. And when most people read these words of Christ, they tend to interpret these verses as if this made-up father Jesus is creating is just so maliciously evil to where he's purposely and intentionally trying to harm his child on purpose because he's just that messed up. But that's not necessarily the case for consider these words from pastor scholar Tom Constable in his commentary on this very verse. He says this, a snake can look like a fish and scorpions sometimes breed in eggs. Scorpions are known to pierce an egg and eat what is inside and then use the shell as their home. A small white scorpion with its tail folded up would look like a small egg. Interesting. Interesting. You know why? Because it tells us that this father, Jesus describing, is evil, not because he's being purposely immoral towards his child. Rather, he's evil because he's being passively irresponsible for his child. You see? Again, according to Jesus, this father he's creating is not evil because he's being purposefully immoral against his child. He's rather being passively irresponsible towards his child. Here's something that you need to understand, and maybe you figured it out already. There are some men out there who are really evil and yet they're some of the greatest dads on the planet. There are some men out there who are incredibly moral, incredibly ethical and yet they are terrible fathers. I've met these men. They exist. Okay. There are some men who are just wicked and yet at home, they're like the best dad in the world. And yet there are people who are great at work, ethical, pay their taxes and yet they are just miserable fathers they are terrible fathers Jesus is making us aware that a father can be evil by simply being irresponsible because it produces certain kinds of characteristics that are just downright evil and what kind of characteristics are these they are the following that all begin with the letter A an irresponsible father can be what abandoning and when I say abandoning I don't just literally mean he just leaves the home He could just not be functionally home all the time, always at work, always doing these things, always hanging out with his friends, never around physically. He's functionally abandoned the home, right? A father can be irresponsible if he's abusive, which tends to be the case for most fathers who are not self-controlled. They don't have the self-control, the self-discipline to deal with them themselves, and so they just instinctively respond without thinking, to where they lash out in anger, physically, emotionally, spiritually. A third way a father can be irresponsible by, is by being absent-minded. Where this is the father who can be physically at home, but relationally he's absent. He's always on his phone. He's always on his laptop. Right? He's always thinking about the next meeting next week. He's always thinking about his next outing with his friends. He's there, but he's not really there. Another way a father can be irresponsible is by being apathetic. That is, he has no pathos for his kids, no passion. He doesn't care about their desires, their fears, their worries, their dreams. He doesn't even know what their hobbies are. He doesn't have any idea of the things going on in the day-to-day lives of their kids. He has no desire for it, right? He's like an android. And another way a father can be irresponsible is that he's on autopilot. This is the zombie dad. You know what the zombie dad is? This is the zombie dad who only meets the physical needs of his kids, right? He makes sure they have food, they have clothing, they have a roof over their head. That's it. That's not bare minimum for them. That's the maximum for them as a role. That's what they think is what it means to be a dad, right? Because it's all autopilot. It's all by instinct. It's all by what they feel as the immediate need. But they don't go beyond the needs that are deeper for their children, okay? This is the condition of so many dads in our society today. And because of that, it just shows that not only are they irresponsible, but they're negating the fact that they are creators with responsibility for their kids. And because of so, these dads are not worthy of honor. But conversely, it tells us that when a father is the exact opposite of these things, to where he is responsible, that means he is a father who is worthy of honor because he's a father who recognizes he's a creator. Characteristics such as the following, he's a father who remains, he's present, He doesn't just butt out the moment mom comes home. He doesn't leave for work, volunteer for those extra hours that no one else wants to do so he can get away from it. He's there, he's present, and he remains. He's disciplining with his kids, but he disciplines not out of instinctive anger, but with real patience, and he ponders and he thinks about how he should respond. He's present-minded to where when he's there, he really is there. The phone is off, the computer is put away, and his mind is not even thinking about work. He's compassionate. Right? He has pathos for his kids. He wants to know what makes their kids laugh, what makes them scared, what makes them excited. He knows the 411 when it comes to his kids. And finally, he's adjusting. He's adjusting. You know what that means? He is always keeping up to date to the evolving needs of his kids. One year, the kids are into Dora. The next year, they're into Beyblades. Right? What? What is that? That's an adjusting father, a father who recognizes where one year his daughter is this beautiful little girl. And then the next year, his daughter has to have certain discussions about their changing body. A father is always reading. He's always watching. He's always listening. He's always talking to other people. He's adjusting himself to the evolving needs. These are the characteristics of a responsible father because these are the characteristics of a father who recognizes he's a creator and therefore when he lives out these characteristics, he is worthy of honor, worthy of honor. Now, at this point, some of you in here, maybe your mom, you mothers especially, are thinking to yourself, wait a minute. Um, why are you talking as if these are unique characteristics of fathers? Because after all, moms can be this way, both the good and the bad. Moms can be abusive. They can be absent-minded, and moms can also be compassionate. They can be adjusting as they always tend to be. So why am I portraying these as unique fatherhood characteristics when motherhood embodies these characteristics as well? Great question. Leads me to my next point. A dad is honorable when he accepts the five truths of mankind. It is true that a father is not the only one who can bless their family with responsible parenting. Moms can be, and most are, They are the ones who are disciplining their kids with patience and kindness. They are the ones who are compassionate. They are the one who is present-minded. And yes, we also see, sadly, some moms can be abusive. They can be absent-minded. They can be apathetic, okay? And so the question that we're left with is, what is it about fatherhood that sets it apart from motherhood when it seems that both these blessings and curses of parenthood can be both attributed to mom and dad? Well, to answer that question, let's consider the second passage for today, Ephesians 6. Starting in verse 1, it reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is interesting because Paul begins our passage addressing children in the church, and he tells them that they are to honor and obey dad and mom right when it comes to honor and obedience there is no distinction there is no discrimination there's no differentiation children are to obey and honor both parents okay which really leads the conundrum in verse four why when prior to this paul is being inclusive of mom and dads does he singularly focus on dads when he says fathers don't provoke your children and this is especially true for some of us who grew up with some hard, crazy moms, right? Like myself, right? right? Some of us in here can testify that our moms have provoked us to anger more than dad. In fact, I would imagine if you were sitting in Paul's place, you would not have written fathers. You would have written mothers, okay? Paul was not thinking of my mama when he wrote, like, this verse. Because if he'd you known my mom, he would not have put dad's. He would have put my mom's name, right? Which further highlights the conundrum why does he isolate why does he focus on fathers and not mothers well to shed some light on this we need to ask another apostle of jesus by the name of peter because in first peter chapter 3 verse 7 he gives us the clue to the answer he says quote husbands in the same way be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers now Bible scholars are unanimous about what Peter means when he says that the women are the weaker partner. He's being literal. He's saying that wives women are weaker physically weaker than their husbands. Now I know there are some exceptions where there are some very strong women out there. Okay. But chances are those very strong women hands down by landslide are married to stronger men. There are women out there much stronger than me. Hands down. Some of you are in here. No offense, ladies. I love you guys. I respect you. But I know the man that you married isn't me, who you can pin down. It's probably the husband who can pin down both of us at the same time. Right? One of the studies that show, almost to the point where it's almost non-negotiable, irrefutable, is that women always tend to marry men who are bigger, stronger, taller than them. The very few outliers, it's like it's so negligible that sometimes you can't even pick it up on these graph charts that they have, right? Which means what? Men are the ones in the family that have the most physical power. They're stronger than their wives, and they're definitely stronger than their children. Now, you hear this, and you're like, what a trivial difference to bring up, PJ. So what, that men and the fathers tend to be the strongest in the home? What does that have to do with anything? It makes no difference whatsoever. Really? Really? I wouldn't be so sure there. Hmm? I recently came across an article on the BBC website entitled, What If Women Were Physically Stronger Than Men? This was written by a, a woman out in England, and she wanted to do a hypothetical study by asking numerous biologists, cultural anthropologists, sociologists, this question, asking them what they thought would happen to society, to culture, to the world, if women in general were stronger than men instead of the way it is now, men being generally stronger than women. One woman who she interviewed was a professor at UC Riverside by the name of Daphne Fairborn, uh, Fairbarn, excuse me, a, a biologist, and this is what she said. We'd have a matriarchal society where females are in charge and males look after the kids. Now, you could easily dismiss this as a crazy lunatic feminist trying to project her wishes for women to rule the world kind of thing, but I think there's something to her statement there. I mean, for example, just consider the greatest conquerors and warlords of history. How many of them were women? How many? Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, Tamerlan, Attila the Hun, Charlemagne, Pharaoh Tutmosis III, Ashaka the Great, Cyrus the Great, Qin Shi Huangti, I don't know if I'm saying that correct, Augustus Caesar. These are, according to History.com, the top ten conquerors and warlords of all time, and they're all men. All men. Consider the current injustices and atrocities that we see having in the world today. Sex trafficking, human slavery, drug trafficking, right? terrorism. Ninety nine percent of these movements are spearheaded by men and they're executed by men. And the majority of the victims that they hurt are women and children. Clearly, there is a correlation between cultural, political, and social power to physical power. As well, which means what? You know what it means? It means men have the disadvantage, advantage of power. Let me say that again. Men have a disadvantage of having the advantage of power in their families. Right? What do I mean by that? You ever heard this phrase before? Power has a tendency to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. By virtue of the fact that men have a power advantage over their family means they are at a disadvantage because they are at greater risk of becoming the corrupt person in the family to where they would abuse and misuse the authority, the power that they have over their family. And just like oppressed people will eventually go up against an oppressive government, so also will an oppressed family rise up and revolt against an oppressive father. This is why Paul addresses father specifically in Ephesians 6 verse 4. And by the way, it's not just Paul who keeps imploring fathers this way. All throughout scripture, you see the Bible always imploring men to develop a spirit of humility and self-control. Consider these samples from Proverbs. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says this. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. Anyone in here ever conquered a city before? Anyone? Anyone? None of us, right? Because it's impossibly hard. It's impossibly hard. What's so funny about that? That's true, right? Okay, we'll talk about it later. It's hard. But you know what the Bible says is even harder? It's harder for a man to resist the natural urge and tendency to use the resources that he has symbolized most preeminently with his physical strength of not abusing that power that he possesses. And so, here's the question. How does a man who most likely will be a father, how does he overcome this natural tendency, this obstacle, of wanting to be a tyrant, of wanting to be corrupted and abuse the power that he has in the home that comes in the form of an irresponsible father. One book that I recently came across, I think, answers this question beautifully. The book is called Adam's Return, written by a Catholic scholar named Father Richard Rohr. And according to him, the way... A man can become the father that God has called him to be is if he embodies five universal truths of man. And what are these five? They're up here. Life is hard. You are not that important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. And finally, you are going to die. Father Rohr spent decades studying different cultures all over the world as well as cultures that no longer exist. And he focused on cultures that have male initiation rites, okay? We have male initiation rites too, right? When a kid turns 16, he goes through the initiation rite of getting his first car. When he turns 21, yes, his boys take him out, right, for a drink. When he gets married or when he's engaged, the boys take him out right before the wedding for a guy's night out. Like there are these initiations, there's these rituals. And he studied hundreds of them, and he found a pattern that the males in society who are stable psychologically and therefore translates into having a stable, happy home exhibited these five characteristics, these five truths that they not only believed but practically lived out in their life. After years, he noticed that these were the kinds of characteristics that men would do in order to become the fathers that the Bible says they are to be, okay? Now, notice these five things you'll notice that corrupt people of power use their power to make sure that they never have to live out these truths, right? Don't corrupt politicians. Don't corrupt dictators. Live life so that their life is not hard to where they can see themselves as the most important so that they could say that life is about them and everyone around them should recognize that. Don't they use their corrupt power to make sure they not only control their life but everyone else's life? Don't they use their power to make sure they can distance their own death, even if it means requiring the death of other people in order to enhance it? A corrupt person of power will live in denial of these things. And because that is so, when a father lives out these five truths, by believing in it, embracing it, and living it out, he has more potency and influence than mom does. Why? Because remember, these are the five truths of mankind. These are not the five truths of men. These are the five truths of mankind, meaning every person needs to live this out as if it is true, because it is true. Men, women, and children. In fact, you could argue that children today need to learn these truths and live it out as soon as possible. Because just consider some of the crazy things kids do today, all the deviancy that they do. All of the crazy nonsense that they're always doing. Bullying, eating laundry pods. Have you heard about this? Kids were eating laundry pods and putting it on YouTube, right? Or eating ramen out of a dirty toilet. I've seen this. Well, I haven't seen it, but I I saw memes of this. If you look at all the crazy, stupid things kids do, you could tie it back to one or all of these five truths being lived out in denial of these kids. Kids today act like life shouldn't be hard life should be easy man oh why is it so hard i am that important why aren't you liking my instagram my facebook my life is about me right social media i am in control of my life don't tell me i am against the man and so many kids act like they're never gonna die right jumping off of a 30 foot uh what is it they, they climb these buildings filming themselves Children today, more than ever, need to learn these truths of mankind. And you know what that means? They need a teacher. They need someone who can teach them these things. And not just any teacher, but someone who has some credibility, some authoritativeness, some experience, okay, to be able to say, I know what it's like to live out these truths. And there is no one, the Bible says, who is better equipped to do that than dad. Why? Why? Because as I said before, dads are the ones who have the greatest hindrance of living out these truths because they have the power. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of struggle, which means dads are the ones who are most prone to fail in living out these truths, which means a father who eventually lives out these truths is a father who was willing to keep trying no matter how much they failed. You see? Back in 1990, um, Michael Jordan, who is without question the greatest of all time who went to the greatest school ever unc chapel hill can i get an amen amen, amen. <laughs> back in 1990 he came out with a commercial for nike where he's um <clears throat> coming out of his limo going into the stadium and you hear his voice and he said these words i've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career i have lost almost 300 games 25 times I've been trusted to take the game winning shot and missed I have failed over and over again in my life and that is why I succeed the greatest success stories are failures who would not give up okay and if fathers are the ones who are most prone to fail in living out those five truths and yet they succeed in living them out you know what that makes them they makes them the best teachers of children Because you know what? Children are going to fail in living out that truth. They're all going to fail in believing those five truths. Which means they need someone who can speak from experience. Who can speak with authority of what it's like to fail and still to overcome. They need to have a teacher when they say to them, you can do it. And actually be someone who speaks from experience of what it's like to not be able to do it. A child is able to live out these five truths when they have a cheerleader, when they have a coach who can tell them, even if you messed up, get up, do it again. You can do it because look at me. If I can do it, son, if I can do it, daughter, you can do it too. A father who fails and yet keeps going, keeps going, keeps going to it. Eventually, he becomes these five things is a gracious, compassionate father. Not a judge, not an iron-fisted dad, not a control freak, not a fearsome man who uses threats and guilt and shame to get his kids to mature. But it showers their kids with love and acceptance and yet hope even when their children fail and still tells them, you can do it. That is a father who is honorable. That is a father who lives out the calling that God has called them to do. And that is how a father lives out these five characteristics to where children will thrive. Now, at this point, a lot of you dads are hearing this. A lot of you men who soon to hope to be dads one day are hearing this, and you're thinking, this is not good, PJ, because <laughs> I'm hearing this and I am not encouraged because I look at the, can we have those five things of life again? Um, this is, this is me all the time. Every time I wake up in the morning, this is what I'm sighing in my head. Oh, my life is so hard. Why am I not more important? Why don't people recognize that my life is about me? Why am I not more in control of my job? Why am I not in control of my circumstances? How many of us realize we get snippets of our mortality? I get it all the time every time I look in the mirror. See this bald spot here? I'm going to die. Because my follicles are dying. You hear this and you're like, this is not good, PJ. This is not good, Pastor. Because not only am I failing this now, I don't see how I can overcome it. Can you help? I'll try. Let's go to the final point. A dad is honorable when he believes in the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, our last passage for today, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father Hmm. here paul describes the work of jesus when god came into the world as jesus christ so that he could pay the full penalty of human sin and notice the way paul describes what jesus is doing throughout his human life what does he do well Paul says he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, which means Jesus didn't cling to his rights to where he promoted himself for who he had the right to do. Hey, I'm God, everyone. He never said that, which means what? He never went around telling people how important he really was, right? He never did that. Secondly, Paul says he was born in human form in the likeness of men, which means what? He came into the world dealing with the hardships of life. If I was Jesus, I would not have been born during the days of the Roman Empire. I would have been born now, right? Where there's internet, where there's running water, right? He was born at a time where it was very hard to live it. And he embraced it. Thirdly, Paul tells us, Jesus took on the form of a slave, which meant what? He had no control over his life. What kind of control does a slave have over his life? Nothing. And because he was a slave, it tells us something else. His life was not about him. Haven't you ever heard Jesus saying over and over in the Gospels, I did not come to do my will. I've come to do my father's will. This is not a man who's determining for himself what his life is all about. And then finally, he lived his life, Paul says, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is a man who knew he was going to die. In fact, he lived his whole life with the awareness that he was going to die. Here you have Jesus Christ living out perfectly those five truths of mankind. Jesus perfectly living out these five truths of what it means to truly be a man. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the all-powerful one, didn't use his power to where he would become a corrupt king. He relinquished his power so that he could live out these five truths. Why? Why would he do these things? Why would he do that, Dad? He did that so that you fathers, I mean, anyone, but especially you fathers, when you fail to live out those five truths, he could say, and he could say with authority, get up, do it again. The reason why God came into the world as Jesus Christ to do what he did to live that perfect life, embodying these five truths, is so that you, Dad, when you mess up, when you sometimes forget that your life is going to die one day, when you sometimes forget that your life is not about you, right? he'll come at you and be like, do it again. And the reason why he can do that is for two reasons. Reason number one, he's forgiven you of your sins, including your failure, which means when you fail, he could say, that's it, you're done, it's over for you, get out of my face, but he doesn't. What does he say? I've forgiven you. I've covered over this failure with my blood on the cross. So get up. Do it again. You're not disqualified. It's not over for you. Get up. Do it again. That's the first reason. The second reason is to show you that he understands, Dad. He understands how hard it is to live out these five things. But here's the thing. He never failed like you have or like you will, like I have and like I will. Now, that's not to discourage you. That's to remind you. This is God. Okay? And because he's God, he knows you better than you know yourself. He's your creator, right? Which means when he says, get up, you can do it because of what I've done for you on the cross. That should carry more weight. That should carry more authority when you say to yourself, I can't do this. I I, I messed up. I'm just a terrible father. I'll never be able to get over this. My kids will never be able to forgive me. I'm done. Jesus will say, no, get up. Do it again. I am God, you are not. When I say you can do it, you will do it. That's another thing that you need to remember, fathers. You see, the way we become the fathers that God has called us to be is simply believing the gospel. Believing the gospel, the power that the gospel has in your life. But the question is, fathers, do you believe this gospel? Do you really live it out? Is it evidenced by the fact that you're always on your knees in prayer, that you're always saturating yourself with Scripture, that you're surrounding yourself with men who've gone ahead of you in fatherhood, and you're asking, help me. Are you even in a mindset where you are even thinking that way when it comes to your role as fathering your kids? It all begins with believing the gospel. The question is, do you believe it, dads? Do you believe it? couple next steps before we end today's message first if you're here today investigating christianity and you happen to be a father and if you feel that this is a message that you need to live out it begins with the first step of you accepting christ as lord and savior and that basically means you surrender your life and you make jesus the king of your life and you confess your sins and you ask for god to be the ruler of your life no longer you ruling your own life secondly we're gonna switch it up can we go to number three men Brothers, fathers, this is what you need to do. You need to take a more proactive stance. Instead of acting all helpless and so unsure and so insecure, you need to take this thing by the, by the horns and just really say, I need to grow up as a dad. Right? All of you are capable as grown men to do what needs to be done in other categories of life, whether it's in your recreation, whether it's in your work life. You need to start doing this in your fatherhood life, right? Take some time. Gather some men in the church. Read some good books. These are some books that I felt have benefited me a lot. Fatherhood by Tony Payne. What Kids Need Most in Dad by Tim Hansel. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. Effective Parenting in a Defective World by Chip Ingram. Families Where Grace is in Place by Jeff Van Vonderen. What an interesting name. Take some time. Read it now. If you're single and you happen to have a girlfriend or you hope to have a girlfriend one day and you want to be a daddy, read those books now. And if you're done come, I'll give you more. I have a lot more. <laughs> Let's end it with number two. Wives, please pray for your husbands. Please pray for your dads of your kids. Okay? In fact, we're going to do that now in just a moment. And sisters, single ladies, pray for the brothers of this fellowship. Because we covet your prayers. Unless we have your support in prayer, we are utterly hopeless. Do you see? We are utterly hopeless unless you are praying for us, okay? And so at this time, let's just take 30 seconds to just pray. Wives, pray for your husbands. Pray for your babies. Sisters, pray for the brothers in this room who are not married yet. Pray for all of us so that we become the fathers that we need to be for our kids and so that our kids can become fathers the next generation that this world desperately needs it to be to where we can embody the kingdom of Christ who is the hope of the world. Let's take this for a moment and just pray together. Let's lift up our voices. Father, even now as we've heard that beautiful voice crying out for his father, Lord, we cry out to you because you are our heavenly father and you have given to us the means and the grace to be able to become the men and the fathers that you've called us to be, the kind of fathers that our wives are praying for, the kind of fathers that our sisters are hoping to one day marry. And Father, I ask that you would give us that power from above that was unleashed through the cross of Calvary's hill. Father, I just pray for my brothers in here. I pray for them, especially in seasons where they feel so defeated, so discouraged, so disqualified because of the fact that they are not living out to the potential that you have enabled them to live out by the blood of Jesus. And so I ask for their sake, for my my sake, that you will enable us by your spirit who dwells within to enable us to grow up and live out these truths so that we would look to Jesus as our hope, as our Savior, as our friend, as our greatest cheerleader so that we could therefore transfer that same love, that same grace, that same cheerleading spirit to our children so that even before they reach maturity to become dads, that they would be in their gentian now, be a source of blessing to their peers and through them to the whole world. Father, would you hear this prayer now? For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.